I hope you all have had a, a restful sleep. Was it restful? Praise the Lord. God is good. You know, I, uh, I want to add my thanks uh, for, the, for being invited to come out here and to share with you. Uh, the Lord is good. And it has been a rich blessing uh, for me and for my family, and uh, as I trust that being here has been a rich blessing for you. To me, uh, it is a great honor to be addressing a group of young people, and uh, as well as more seasoned, but especially the young, because, uh, because we, need, we need our youth. Amen. Uh, I have uh, been a teacher, pastor, and youth pastor, and I have seen the ranks of our youth decimated. And uh, to see young people being excited about Jesus excites me. You know, I, since I've given my life to the Lord, there's been an, uh, the, the, the most important thing for me has been the coming of Christ. Anything that I study that really I sink my teeth into relates to that. Are you with me? So I am very interested in the events that are taking place around the world. And uh, obviously the events that are taking place around the world are clearly communicating to us the footsteps of of an approaching God. Amen? But there hasn't been anything to me that has been more glaring in declaring the soon coming of Christ than to see an awakening within the youth of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And in 2005, when I went to GYC for the very first time, and I stood there in that uh, convention center in Chattanooga, and I saw over 3,500 Seventh-day Adventist young people, my eyes welled up with tears because I knew we were at the end. And the last weapon in the arsenal of God's church is coming online. And you know, to me, what's, what's amazing, I don't know if you're aware of this, but your counterparts in the Sunday-keeping churches, there is an awakening. Young people in the Sunday-keeping churches no longer want to be entertained. They want to preach and they want to teach. And I believe that soon those young people are going to discover the three angels' message and those voices are going to blend to give the loud cry. Something is happening. Christ is coming soon. And in the time that you have been here, we have been here, the Lord has blessed us. And, And so many will be going home to share some of the things that you have been learning here, amen? amen. I mean, that's the goal. We, we, you know, you eat and you exercise, right? If we just eat, eat, we get fat, amen? And so as the Lord has been feeding us spiritually, we're to go home with a message. But my young friends, let me share something. Before seeking to apply it to anyone, let's make sure that we first apply it to ourselves. Isn't that right? Because the loudest sermon we can ever give is the one lived. And, and as you leave, I want to strengthen your hands with something, with, with some quotes here in the spirit of prophecy. I grew up in Southern California. This is my state. And uh, it is a joy to come back. Right now I'm teaching at Wachita Hills uh, College and Academy, and it's a blessing for me out there. But there's something about coming back home and, and just smelling that California air. I tell you, I have been blessed. I have, but I grew up in the state, and I have pastored, and uh, the other, you know, I've been from one end of this continent to the other, and I know the challenges. I'm not going to go into all that. But as you leave, I want to strengthen you. I want to strengthen your hands. I want to share with you a couple quotes. Uh, b- b- before I do, things look pretty challenging, amen? You know, when I was uh, in the South, I-, I came across a song. 
It's a gospel song. I don't listen to gospel music. I was uh, visiting uh, with some friends, and, and they shared with me the title of the song, and it was entitled, I Read the Back of the Book and We Win. <laughs> we got to keep that in mind. Let's not look at the problems. Let's look to Christ. Let's not look at the crisis. Let's look at Jesus. Let's not focus on what's coming. Let's focus on who's coming. Because that's where the strength is found, friends. And I want to share this quote with you. It's found in Volume 2, Selected Messages 390. You're not moving. Do you have paper and pencil? Let me repeat it. Volume 2, Selected Messages 390. This is what it says. There is no need to doubt. There is no need to what? To be fearful that the work will not succeed. God is at the head of the work. Who is? And he will adjust everything, excuse me, and he will set everything in order. Who will? Y'all don't sound convicted. Who is going to set everything in order? If matters need adjusting at the head of the work, God will attend to that. And work to right every wrong. Do you believe that? Let us have faith that God is going to carry the noble ship which bears the people of God safely into port. Do you believe that? My young friends, hear me. The last train is leaving town and this is it. There is no other train after this. This is God's church. There isn't going to be another one. And this church is going all the way through. Are you with me? I want to repeat another one. Has God no living church? What's the answer, church? Has God no living church? Yes. He has a church, but it is the church militant, not the church triumphant. Not yet, anyway. We are sorry that there are defective members and there are tares amid the wheat. Although there are evils existing in the church and will be until the end of the world, listen to this, the church in the last days is to be the light of the world that is polluted and demoralized by sin, the church enfeebled and defective, needing to be reproved, warned, and counseled, is the only object upon earth which Christ bestows his supreme regard. That's powerful. If he bestows his supreme regard upon this church, what else does he hold in higher regard? But that's the church. That's the church. We need not worry about failure nor to talk about failure. We are going through, brothers and sisters, by the grace of God. But we need to focus on Jesus. And when we go home and we apply what we're learning here to our own lives, when the Lord moves upon our heart to deal with something, let's make sure we do it in the spirit of Christ. Are you with me? Let's make sure of that. You know, it's interesting to me. But if God, if Christ refers to the church as his bride, how does he feel, how does he want us to address his bride? Now, a number of you here are married. How do you want people to address your wife? Respectfully. And so let's make sure that we do, we work with humility, remembering always that we need a savior as well. Is that right? God is good. And so I am encouraged working with young people it is, my, it is my great joy, um, and I, I came out of the Catholic Church, and then 
uh, I went into the world, and I praise God that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist today, and I look forward to the soon coming of Christ, and it is soon, friends. It is very soon. At this time, I, I want to share a message with you that I believe the Lord has laid upon my heart, but uh, I am not qualified to give it without His help. So I'm going to ask you, on this last morning in which we meet together, to kneel with me before the Master. Father, I want to thank you for your kindness, your goodness, and your tender mercies. Lord, what a privilege it has been to be here. Father, each of us have arrived here under different and various circumstances, but behind the play and counterplay of human affairs is the guiding hand of God, your hand. Our being here has been a divine appointment. You have ordained it from the very beginning. And so here we are. In the closing moments of Earth's history, we come. We come to you, Lord, broken. We come to you, Lord, needy. But we come to you, the only one who can supply all our needs. Father, I pray that as in this last message, I pray that in your great wisdom, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will pull together the things that we have learned throughout this week. Father, you know that the humble instrument that you have to work through this morning is not up to the task. But Father, in your great power, work through this feeble instrument. I pray that you will hide this instrument behind the cross and that only Christ will be seen and heard. Dearest Lord Jesus, thank you. But I request that self will not be manifested now, but only Christ. There are souls here that hang on the balance and they need a clear message, Father. I cannot give it, but you can. And so you have promised to supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so according to Christ's promise and the promise through him, I grasp it and I thank you for it. And so now, Father, I pray you'll bring to my remembrance what you want me to say. The illustrations bring them, but withhold anything, Father, that does not reflect your will at this hour. And I thank you and ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I will be working. Uh, I'll be bringing uh, the, the text and the quotes that I'll be using will be on the screen. If not, I will ask you to pull out your Bibles. If you have, in fact, I, I, I'm so, I apologize to you. Uh, I just have a lot crammed in here. It's a little faster to work this way uh, because I like to hear those pages turning. In James, this morning, I'm going to be addressing something out of the book of James, chapter 5, and that has to do with the role of repentance and the latter rain. Um, I feel, uh, I, 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 I'm very thankful for the fact that God has given to me this opportunity because this, this is a passion for me. I want to be ready for the second coming. I want to go home. And so there is a connection between repentance and latter rain that we have to understand if, if, there's going to be, if there's going to be success in our lives and being ready for the coming of Christ. There is a preparation. Do you believe that? In the book of James, chapter 5, uh, we see an illustration here that, that, that opens up to us this topic. James 5, verse 7 and 8. It says, Therefore, be what? Be patient, brethren, 
until the coming of the Lord. Now an illustration. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting how? Patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. And now the bridge. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is what? Is at hand. Israel was an agricultural society. The Lord ordained it that way because God, his first lesson book is nature. And by acquainting Israel with the soil, he had many lessons to teach them that they would understand much better if they were involved in the soil. How many here have gardens? Praise the Lord. You'll understand a little better what I'm going to be sharing. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, I want to encourage you to get one started. The Lord will be waiting for you. The Lord has lessons to teach us. God uses this illustration of uh, planting and harvesting to illustrate to us the work of the Holy Spirit in preparing us in the reception of the rain. And you know that there's a lot of work to be done in preparing the soil, and the farmer is to do that. He has a part to play. But can the farmer make it rain? No. The farmer has a work to do, but he is dependent upon the Lord to bring the rain. And the rain comes in two different degrees. The early rain is a soft rain. It prepares the plant and gets it growing. The latter rain brings it to maturity for the harvest. Are you with me? And so it is in this that the Lord wants us to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in these two parts. Now, historically, we know that the early rain began to fall when? At Pentecost. This is the counterpart. The early rain began to fall at Pentecost upon God's people. We know this as a historical fact. And we get excited when we think about the latter rain because we know that when the, right, when the latter rain begins to fall, right behind that is what? Is the second coming of Jesus. And so as Adventists, this text, this topic excites us, doesn't it? But the question for us at this hour is how many will be ready to receive it? I want to share with you a quote that to me is very sobering, to me is very tragic, but it gives us the framework of this topic. It draws our attention so that we pay attention. At Volume 2 Testimonies, page 445, we find these tragic words from the prophet. You can almost hear the, the tears in her voice. I have tried in the fear of God to set before his people their danger and their what? Sins. And have endeavored to the best of my feeble powers to arouse them. I have stated startling things which if they had what? Believed would have caused them distress and terror and led them in zeal in what? Repenting of their sins and iniquities. I have stated before them that from what was shown me but a small number of those now professing to believe the truth would eventually be saved. Not because they could not be saved, but because they would not. Not because they could not, 
but because they would not be saved in God's own appointed way. My friends, God has a way to save us. And there, He doesn't need another way. It is a very successful way. But evidently, we're trying to find other ways. And they're not successful. It's not that they could not, but that they would not. And this work has to do with two things, with believing and repentance. Did you catch that? When the latter rain falls, not everyone will be ready. Review and Herald 1890. There is to be in the churches a wonderful manifestation of the power of God, but it will not move upon those who have not humbled themselves before the Lord and opened the door of the heart by confession and what? And repentance. In the manifestation of that power which lightens the earth with the glory of God, they will see only something which in their blindness they think what? Dangerous. Something which will arouse their fears and they will brace themselves to do what? To resist it. Why? Because the Lord does not work according to their ideas and expectations. They will oppose the work. What irony, what tragedy that the very thing we're praying for most in the end will resist. It's very interesting. You know, when I, when I, when we think of Jesus into our hearts, I don't know about you, but I often think about uh, that painting with Jesus standing by the door knocking. You know, we're told that Jesus is, is at our heart's door knocking to come in. Amen. But did you notice in the statement what it is that opens the door? It is confession and what? And repentance that opens the door. Brothers and sisters, do you want Jesus in your heart today? I want him in mine. I want him in mine. But what, but what we're seeing here is that this problem revolves around repentance or rather the lack thereof. The Apostle Peter, when the, when the early rain began to fall, addressed this problem. In Acts 3.19, he said this, Repent, therefore, and be what? Converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing, which is what? The Holy Spirit may come from the presence of the Lord. There is a connection between our reception of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and our willing to cooperate with God by repenting. Are you with me? Does this make sense? This morning, I would like to look at the work of repentance. We're going to look at this in three parts. First, we're going to look at what is true and false repentance. Secondly, we're going to look at how to attain the true repentance, and thirdly, how to prepare for the latter rain through the work of repentance. If you're with me, say amen. amen. First, let's take a look at what is true and false repentance. What will the truly repentant center, sinner be constrained to do? In other words, what does true repentance look like? You know, when we think of sinners, especially those who have, created, who have, who have committed some whoppers, we think of King David. At least I do. Adultery and murder seems to be a whopper to me. What do you think? 
And in Psalms 38, verse 18, we find these words of King David. He says, I will declare my what? My iniquity. He's not playing games, huh? I will declare my iniquity. And then he says, I will be what? I will be sorry for my sin. You see, iniquity... Uh, repentance does not only involve acknowledging the obvious, but it's really being sorry for it. Are you with me? When, uh, you know, as a, as a father, I want to see my children in heaven. Uh, every parent here feels that way. And as feeble and defective as we are as parents, we try our best. I remember a story, an incident, story, the story was me, incident that took place uh, when my son was about four years old. I don't know where he is right now. He's probably hiding. But um, he was about three or four. And we had somebody living with us um, at the time. And uh, this person, a precious person, um, had a, had, a, had a rather nasty habit of using the Lord's name in vain. I tried talking to this person about it, but um, some habits just don't go away real fast. But, uh, but anyway, my son picked up this habit. And uh, he's about three or four. And one day, uh, I heard him using the Lord's name in vain. This greatly disturbed me. And so I took him aside, and I talked with my son. I said, Bubby, um, Jesus is not happy with this and doesn't want us to use his name in vain. And, uh, you know, he, he was very attentive. He was nodding uh, to the whole thing and, and agreed. And uh, I thought that was good. And then, when, you know, I thought that was the end of that. The next day, he was doing it again. So uh, I went and uh, I said, you know, I talked with him. This time I grabbed the Ten Commandments. We had a little Ten Commandments in a, in a, in a frame. And I, and I took it over to him and I kind of, you know, I showed him the commandment there. See, we should not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So this is part of God's commandments, Bubby. We don't do this. And he was impressed with that. And and that was good. And then we left. And um, the next day, he was doing it again. So I went over, grabbed the frame again, and we went to his room. And I went through it again. And then this time we prayed. And he agreed that this wasn't good. And the next day was Sabbath. And we were on our way to church. And um, as we were driving into the parking lot of the church, he does it again. And this time he looked at me uh, almost as if to see, well, I wonder what he's going to do now. And I asked my wife, uh, and we had a friend with us, to go ahead and go into the, ch into the church and to wait for us. I was going to have to take care of this. And uh, so I asked Bubby to stay in the, in the car, and uh, I, I was going to come right back. And so I went out, and I talked with the Lord. And I said, Lord, um, I really don't know what to do. I, I have done everything I know to do. But I'm, I'm obviously not getting through. I don't know what else to do, but I'm just going to have to tan his backside. I said, Lord, I'm bigger than him, and I can do that. And, 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 and I can probably be very successful. I'm sure he won't do it again by the, when I'm done. But it won't be out of love for you. I'm afraid it will be out of fear. And that's not victory. I said, Lord, I am asking you, please, you've got to do something to reach his heart. I don't know how to reach his heart. So I'm asking you to reach his heart. But I'm going to have to go after the backside because I feel if I do nothing, I am doing a great sin in your eyes. So I went back into the car and I explained to Josh what was about to take place and his role. And um, 
and I explained to him why this was about to take place. And he listened. And I asked him, are you ready? And he said, yeah. Now, I have to say that um, I, I, I really didn't know what I was going to use. I, I didn't want to use my hand. I never wanted him to associate my hand. You know what I'm saying? So I, I just sat there. What am I going to do? And I remember what worked for my parents was the belt. I survived. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, well, then I guess that's what I'm going to use. So I took off my belt. I explained to him the whole process. And he immediately assumed the position. Which told me, which told me he knew. So that, I, at least there was some consolation for me there. So anyway, I'm in the back seat of my 91 Mitsubishi Galat. There just isn't a whole lot of room back there. And I had him over here, and he was assuming the position. And, and I had my belt in my right hand, and, and I was going to have to come through and get him. And all I want to do was one time, just to, you know, you, if you impress this, it impresses this. And that's all I was after, one time. But there was so much that was in the way... Um, I was wondering how this was going to work. So he was there, and I said, here we go, and okay. And then I came through, and by the time the belt got to his pants, it was barely a tap because, because the, the blow was deflected. And uh, he kind of liked that. He, he spun around. His eyes were big. He was smiling. I said, no, that didn't count. Go back. And... Um, so I knew that this time, when I came, I came through, I was going to have to come through with gusto to compensate for whatever it was that was deflecting the blow, which was probably the seats and who knows what else. So this time I came through with gusto. And uh, once again, by the time the belt touched his pants, uh, it was barely a tap. But it was at this moment that I realized what had deflected the blow. I had placed the buckle on the back side of my hand in an attempt to avoid it getting near him. And when I came back down, I got myself right in the knee with that buckle. Now, the first time, I was so focused, uh, I wasn't paying attention. But the second time, I hit myself in the same spot. And this time, I felt it. And uh, I dropped the belt, and I was just writhing in the back seat of the 91 Mitsubishi Galant, because it hurt like everything. And, uh, and in the midst of my pain, my agony, um, I suddenly heard this little voice call out to me. said, Daddy. And when I looked, his eyes were welled up with tears. And I realized at that moment that God had given me the key to his heart. My son said to me, I'm sorry. He had connected the pain that I was going through with what it was he was doing. And I said to him, Bubby, what you're doing is hurting Daddy. And I am asking you, please, don't ever do that again. Listen to me. That was never a problem with my son again. The Lord gave him victory. Why? Because he associated his sin with the pain he was causing his father. And it lost its interest in his life. It broke its hold. My young friends, repentance is when we come to understand that when we sin, someone has to deflect that blow. Someone has to take that blow. When, when, we, when we sin, repentance is understanding the pain we cause to the heart of God that every departure from wrong causes anguish to his heart. Every departure. And we turn from it 
because we love the one we're hurting. Repentance is acknowledging what is wrong and turning from it because someone has to deflect that blow. That is repentance. Ellen White, in Steps to Christ, page 23, has this to say. Repentance includes sorrow for sin and a turning away from it. We shall not renounce sin unless we what? We see its sinfulness. Until we turn away from it in what? In heart, there will be no real change in the life. The gospel is about change. It is about change. And true repentance is a part of that. It is understanding that someone must deflect that blow. Someone has to pay the price. And it is someone we love. And we turn from it as a result. But now I want to share with you false repentance. The Bible mentions another kind of repentance. And it's found in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. Here, the Apostle Paul writes, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to what? Salvation, not to be reg regretted. Okay, we just talked about that, but now watch this. But the sorrow of the world produces what? It's a death. It is a repentance, not for the, because of the sin we committed, because of, but because of the consequences. It's not because of the suffering we cause someone else, but the, because of the suffering it causes us. Ellen White has this to say about that kind of repentance. In Steps to Christ, page 23. There are many who fail to understand the true nature of repentance. Multitudes sorrow that they have sinned and even make an outward reformation because they fear that their wrongdoing will bring suffering upon themselves. But this is not repentance in the Bible sense. They lament the suffering rather than the sin. Such was the grief of Esau when he saw that the birthright was lost to him forever. Balaam, terrified by the angel standing in his pathway with drawn sword, acknowledged his guilt lest he should lose his life. But there was no genuine repentance for sin, no conversion of purpose, no abhorrence of evil. Judas Iscariot, after betraying his Lord, exclaimed, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. Was it true? But it wasn't born out of the fact that he had hurt his Savior. It was out of the fact that he knew that there was punishment waiting for him. That is the difference between the true and the false. You know, do you remember, I don't know how many of you have ever read the story of redemption. Uh, I encourage you to read it. I, want to, I encourage you to read that story. It's very interesting. Ellen White brings out stuff there that she doesn't bring out in Great Controversy. But in the story of redemption, it's very interesting that after Lucifer uh, gets kicked out of heaven, and he gets his way, he gets his freedom. And he finds himself perfectly miserable in it, as we all do. <laughs> he, um, he then does something. He wants to meet with Jesus in private. So he gets an angel, one of the good angels, and says, I would like an audience with Christ. And so Christ comes. And, uh, and Lucifer, Satan goes to him and says, you know, um, I'm paraphrasing, okay? I've kind of thought this thing over, and, uh, you know, I, I was wrong, and I would like to go back now. And Jesus, with tears streaming down his face, said no. He said no. At that moment, 
uh, Satan goes into a rage and in short says to Jesus, I'll make you pay. Now, I don't know about you, my initial thought when I came across that, I thought to myself, man, imagine all the trouble we could have avoided if Jesus had just taken him back. But that's not so. You see, his response revealed the fact that there really was no true repentance. You see, if he was truly repentant, then he would have said this, my Lord, you're right. I deserve it. I am so sorry. Just put me somewhere in the corner of the kingdom until you decide what you're going to do with me. That's repentance. Do you see the difference? One is sorrow for the act, the other isn't. One is sorrow for the act, the other is not. True repentance is sorrow for sin, but false repentance is sorrow for its consequence. True repentance opens the way for the receiving of the latter rain. The false will block it. So how is true repentance attained? It is done, brothers and sisters, by responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 8, we find these words. When he, the Holy Spirit, is come, he will reprove or convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit is to show us what is right and wrong. Because without him, we don't know what's right and wrong, and we have a natural bent for what is wrong. Do I hear an amen? amen? We can't tell the difference without the Holy Spirit working. Now listen, when you go to the grocery store, and you're in line to buy something, and your eyes fall upon that magazine, which is, by the way, for the most part, corrupt and pornographic, in the way people are dressed, and, and, or, or, that's even ridiculous, in the way they're not. But when your eyes, when our eyes fall upon it, does something in your head tell you, look away? Who is that? Do we respond? The Holy Spirit speaks to us through our conscience. When we're in the middle or we're about to do something or in the middle of it and something says to us, don't do it, that's Him. How do we respond? One of the ways that He educates our conscience to recognize His voice is through His law. Romans 3.20, by the law is a knowledge of what? Is sin. We're family, right? Are you with me? Open your Bibles to Revelation 14. Let's talk. Revelation 14. We're going to read a, a familiar passage, verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of who? Now, this is a description of the people of God in the last days, the people that we refer to as the remnant, God's prophetic end-time people. Do I hear an amen? amen? Brothers and sisters, if this were to describe us today, a people who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus, why are we still on this planet? God is waiting for it to apply to us. We have the message. Now we've got to apply it. Are you with me? You know, let's take a look. You know, when we look at Israel, listen, I'm just, I, 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 we've got to look at this thing right. And, and don't think about your neighbor or the church back home. I'm talking to you. 
This is to me. Are you with me? This is us. We're all in the same boat. Amen? Is it good to, 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 to preach the commandments of God? Is it good to keep the Sabbath? Is it good to have the health message and to proclaim the health message? Is it good to tithe? Is it good to proclaim the coming of Christ? But does it, but does it make you uneasy when we consider the fact that that is a description of the people that crucified Christ? There is a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And the people in the last days of whom this text is talking about are going to have both. They're going to be obeying the letter and the principles will be in operation in the life. Are you with me? Let's just go through some of these and, and, and just to flesh some of these out. The first one says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now we look at that and say, well, that's kind of silly. We're not worshiping any other gods. Wait a second. What we're talking about here is who is the highest authority in your life and mine? You and I work in places. We go in school to places. We sit on various boards and committees and whatnot. But when something comes up that's in violation of the will of God, where do we take our stand? Who will we obey? The God of heaven? Or we're going to give in to the peer pressure of the group around us? Where do we stand? On this commandment. The second, thou shalt, ha thou shalt not make unto you any graven images. Okay, we don't bow down to stones, right? Or little idols. But brothers and sisters, can we still have idols in our lives? Can we have something that we hold as of greater value than God? And, and you know how we determine what it is that is of great value to us? Is, is, is the, way you, the barometer is, is what it is we're spending the most time with. What it is we're, we're putting our, our, our monies and energies towards. Are you with me? Don't, don't let me lose you now. We're, we're not only talking about the letter, but the principle of it. Where are we spending our time and our money? Who has our greatest thoughts and energies? Hey, I'm talking to me too. I have to take inventory of my whole life. The Holy Spirit's talking to me up here as he's talking to you down there. Are you with me? Yes. The third one. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Our speech is to be to the glory of God. That name, when the angels hear it, they veil their faces. And sometimes we have veggie slang words like gosh or golly or geez. And all of these things are derivatives of the name of God. Not only that, but the, the word of God is holy. And we're to handle it in a respectful manner, not trifling. Are you with me? Heaven forbid that we do that. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's a great thing that we don't go to work on Sabbath. But do we go to the restaurant and ask somebody else to work for us? Are we an accomplice to someone else's crime? Are you with me? This is happening to us as a people. And not only that, but we can go to church, but where are our thoughts on the Sabbath? What are we talking about on the Sabbath? Is it about Jesus? Is it about his work? Hey, I'm not here to fuss on anyone. Let's just search our own hearts. Let's be honest. If we're really going to be serious about receiving the latter rain, let's get serious. You know, many of us are saying, you know, God's not real to me. You know why that's happening? It's because we're not being real with him. If we want God to be real, we've got to be real. Let's look at this thing. It's looking into this law that we're going to see our true condition. Amen? Amen. The Bible says, honor your father and your mother. You know, it doesn't say you have to agree with them, but it does say we have to honor them. And not only when they're present, but even when they're not. Are you with me? Even in our thoughts. 
It doesn't mean we have to agree. But when we disagree, we do so respectfully. Are you with me? And as far as possible, let's agree and be obedient. But where we cannot, because it interferes with our loyalty to God, duty is clear, but we do it respectfully. The same thing, by the way, when we're dealing with, with, with authority anywhere. Amen? Amen? Number six, thou shalt not kill. Oh, that's an easy one, Pastor. I don't blow people away. You know, though, that we can kill people through gossip? That's called character assassination. Do we talk about people? You know that we can hate people? Jesus calls hatred murder. Do you know if I don't take care of my health, God, that's, that's, that's killing myself. God's no more pleased with a quick suicide than he is with a slow one. But these are the principles that undergird the law of God. Thou shalt not commit adultery. No problem there, Pastor. I'm faithful. Where are your thoughts? What are you watching on the internet? What are we watching? Pornography? You know, according to statistics right now, half the men in here, according to stats, I know I'm sure it's not true here, but according to statistics, half of the men here are stuck on pornography. Those are the stats. And that's Christian stats, not just the world. That is adultery. That is adultery. Now, for men, it's the pictures. For the women, it's something different. It's the novels. Because women are relational. That's what turns them on. And so it's the novel reading that it's the pornography for the women. There are different ways to commit adultery. Brothers and sisters, it's not just a physical act. Then they're stealing. You know, we can do it in the little things by taking advantage of someone on a great deal. It could be stealing somebody's reputation or their purity. Don't bear a false witness. That means don't lie. Mine's a white lie. There is no such thing as a white lie. If we say something and we follow it up with just kidding, buyer beware. We're not being honest. And let me say there's another way of lying too. It's remaining silent in a crisis. We are bearing a false witness. Thou shalt not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Brothers and sisters, are we satisfied with what Jesus has given to us? Or do we, are we more interested in what somebody else is wearing? Or in their muscles? Or in their curves? Or in their looks? Or in their car? Or in their computer? Or in their life that seems to be easier than mine? Do we believe that God has his best interest for us and has given to us precisely what we need? When we look into the law and we go beyond the letter and we look at the spirit, it's a different ballgame. It is a different ballgame. Brothers and sisters, when the law is written upon the heart, its letter and its spirit, it's going to look like Jesus Christ. That's what it'll look like. I love reading about the Apostle Paul. He was sincere, even when he didn't know God. And Ellen White has this to say about him in Steps to Christ, page 29. Paul says that as touching the righteousness which is in the law, as far as outward acts were concerned, he was blameless. But when the spiritual character of the law was discerned, he saw himself a sinner judged by the letter of the law as men apply it to the outward life he had, sustained, he had abstained from sin. But when he looked into the depths of its holy precepts and saw himself as God saw him, he bowed in humiliation and confessed his guilt. 
He says, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I did what? Died. When he saw the spiritual nature of the law, sin appeared in its true hideousness, and his self-esteem was gone. It was gone. Brothers and sisters, in these last days, there is a danger of us thinking that we'll be saved through club membership. Now, there isn't anyone that would actually say that, but we fall into this. We cannot be looking to one another, nor to the church down the street. We must keep our eyes single upon Christ. It is in Jesus that we see the law in living form. In our lives, we must be comparing it with Jesus. Or we're not, our hearts are not going to break. We're not going to understand what we're doing to Him and to ourselves if we're not doing that. Our lives must be compared to that of Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit applies both the spiritual as well as the letter of the law into the life. Our job is to cooperate with that work. Listen to me. This is known as the early rain experience. Did you hear me? The early rain experience is cooperating with the Holy Spirit in this work of revealing the sin within our lives, cooperating with Him by confessing and turning from that sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. Watch this fleshed out in Acts of the Apostles 4.82. The work of gaining salvation is one of what? Of what? Of co-partnership, a joint operation. There is to be a cooperation between God and the repentant sinner. This is necessary for the formation of right principles in the character. Man is to make earnest efforts to overcome that which hinders him from attaining to what? Perfection. But he is wholly dependent upon God for its success. Human effort of itself is not sufficient. Without the aid of divine power, it avails how much? Nothing. God works and man works. Resistance of temptation must come from man, who must draw his power from God. On the one side, there is infinite wisdom, compassion, and power. On the other, weakness, sinfulness, absolute helplessness. Are you with me? Brothers and sisters, when God gives us victory, you and I have nothing of which to boast. We can't brag on anything. Don't accept an applause or a pat on the back. All the praises go to Jesus Christ. Jesus says, when you have, been, when you have done what you were told to do, consider yourself an unprofitable but he can't save us and knows how. And so, <coughs> excuse me, we're beginning to see that unless the early rain has done its work, the latter rain has nothing to work with. You see, when I plant the garden in my yard, if I don't water it in the spring, it's going to die. I'm going to have dead plants. And in the fall, when the latter rain comes and hits that garden, it's not going to bring anything to life. It's dead. The early rain had to do its work to bring it along in preparation for the latter. Are you with me? Repentance is key. To resist this work will prove fatal to us. In uh, Steps to Christ, page 33, we find this quote. Every, now, watch this. This is the reason why we cannot fool around with sin. This is why we cannot justify sin and excuse it. 
Every act of transgression. How many? Every neglect or rejection of the grace of Christ is reacting upon yourself. It is doing what? Hardening the heart, depraving the will, benumbing the understanding, and not only making you less inclined to yield, but less capable of yielding to the tender pleading of God's Holy Spirit. You see, if the early rain is not doing its work in my life, the latter rain won't take. Are you with me? You know, uh, oftentimes um, people have, uh, have struggled with ear infections. And you know, when you have enough ear infections, what happens to your hearing? What's that? You lose it. You lose your hearing. When we toy with sin, we are creating scar tissue in our conscience. And we're making it more difficult to hear the Holy Spirit until we finally don't. And the Bible calls that what? Is grieving the Holy Spirit. But what is it that empowers this work in the life? What is it that empowers the Holy Spirit to be able to come into my life and work repentance into me? Romans 2.4, we find this text. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to what? To repentance. You see, my son and I, and my daughter too, have a great relationship. Are you with me? And when that moment... When Josh saw me hurting, it was hurting someone he loved. His sin, which at the moment was not a big deal, suddenly became one. As we come to know God and come to love God, we're not going to want to do injury to him. I am a teacher. And I was teaching at the school. I won't name it, but it wasn't Wachita. And, and I had a class. Uh, there were a group of juniors. And I remember being in, in, in the in the teacher's lounge with the teachers talking. It was, the, it, was one of the, it was the very first meeting. And when they mentioned my class, there was this collective groan. I didn't take that as a good sign. And so I went and asked some of uh, the teachers what was going on. And they mentioned to me the problems this class had. These kids didn't even like each other, evidently, and had caused some grief along the way. And, and so, in my, as I was teaching Bible to this class, um, there was some shenanigans going on. And I don't know about you, but I, have a, I, have, I, I don't tolerate that kind of stuff. I really don't. And I was ready to just lose my marbles, but I knew that wasn't a good thing. That doesn't honor God at all, does it? And so, uh, I had to come, as I was up there, I was praying, I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me, or I'm just going to turn into a real bad witness right now. And... Um, <clears throat> And so a thought came to my mind. I don't remember now what it was, but I threw out a question to the class. And what I was looking for was a response. And all of them turned to one individual in the class. And so I identified the leader. That's what I was looking for. I was looking for the leader. So I threw out the, cl- the question, and they all looked, and I said, bingo, there he is. So I quickly uh, counted that first uh, class of... Uh, um, I-, I-, I got off the field. I lost that battle. I got off the field. But I went and I befriended that young person off campus. We played basketball together. He gave me candy. I don't do candy. But I ate it. And, but I worked with him. And, 
And, um, and I won him. Now he didn't want to jeopardize the relationship we had. And in class, he helped me keep the rest in order. When we love Christ, that's the response. That is the response. I'm, I'm sorry, I got thrown off. I might go over a little bit. Okay. The work of the Holy Spirit is a co-partnership. The power is found in God, not in us. If right now you're thinking about how you and I are going to change ourselves, you're going to give up in despair. We need the Holy Spirit. Do you remember the story of the paralytic? How many years with this man without walking? 38. Did he want to walk? He did. Do you think he tried? Did it work? Then one day he encounters Jesus, and Jesus says, get up and walk. And at that moment, the power was available. Now, he could have made a decision and said, when, as soon as you heal me, I'll walk. But he responded to the word. And as he did, he was able to, he had to exercise his will. But the power came from, it came from God. When we understand this loving Savior, we will have the confidence to get up when he tells us to. I really appreciated Elder Roski's talk to us um, Sabbath morning. And he pointed us to John 17, 3. Why don't we look at that real fast? John 17, verse 3. I love this text because Jesus is going to define for us what is eternal life. Are you with me? He's going to define it. You know, sometimes when you, do, when you ask the scholars, they'll, they'll write a book. It's about four inches thick. But you ask Jesus and he, he gives you a sentence. Don't you love that? Here's eternal life, brothers and sisters, verse 4, no, of, uh, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom what? No. Thou sent. Ellen White has this to say. She says, if the eye is kept fixed on Christ, the work of the Spirit ceases not until the soul is conformed into his image. Our hope is found in Jesus. As we come to know Jesus and the love of God, we're going to have a different perspective on sin. It's not going to be what we thought before. You know, when I came out here, I was hoping to run into some of my classmates. My heart aches. I pray for them every day because they're not serving the Lord and I went to an academy. I was hoping they would be here. Why? Because they knew what I was like before. In fact, I've got two here that are close to it because I was already starting to turn to the Lord. But, uh, but Margaret and Roger, we knew each other at La Sierra. So don't ask them too many questions. But, <laughs> but I was hoping to see some here because I want to tell them about the love of God. Amen. I want them to know there is a Savior from sin. One who knows us and loves us anyway. Brothers and sisters, listen. This is why devotional life is not optional. Devotions are as optional as breathing. Are you with me? If we want to be transformed and be made like Jesus, if we want to see sin for what it really is, we've got to see the Savior. And as we spend time with Jesus, imperceptibly, Ellen White tells us, little by little, little by little, He will begin the process of transforming us. The interesting thing is that as long as your and my eye is fixed on Jesus, we're not going to be seeing so much of the transformation. But the people around us are going to notice. They will notice. Devotional life is not optional. Spending time with Jesus is critical because you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. You know, I am trying now 
I made a decision to saturate myself as much as possible with Scripture because the power is in the Word. And um, so I'm really not into the electronic gizmos. That's not my thing. And I'm sure that my life would be made easier with MP3s or iPods or whatever, but I'm still operating off CDs. Pray for me. But <laughs> what I did um, on this trip, we're on we're, right after this we're going to go on vacation, and I bought some CDs that's the Bible dramatized. It's, uh, it's New King James. They're not making stuff up. But, you know, if he's by the Sea of Galilee, you're going to hear waves. You know what I'm saying? And uh, during creation week, when he mentions the birds, you hear birds singing. It's that sort of thing. But, uh, but, the, but, but the, um, the narrators, they really, I prayed, and the Lord found me this awesome set. And I love it listening. And I, and I had Mark here listen to it. He was a, he was a captive audience in my van. I said, Mark, you've got to listen to this. Was that awesome? It was. I want to saturate myself as much with Scripture as I possibly can because I need Jesus. I need to be transformed. I want, I want to experience repentance. Anytime I sin, I want my heart to break. And unless I know Jesus, it won't. I want my heart to break. I want it to. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. We hear the words of our gentle Savior. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have what? Drawn thee. Ellen White tells us in, the, in Steps to Christ in chapter 3 that if we don't resist, we'll be drawn to Jesus. Is that amazing to you? If we don't resist, spending time with him, we come to see him and recognize his voice. Watch the effect of this drawing, of spending time, of recognizing the character and the love of God. Steps to Christ, page 28. The soul thus touched will hate its what? Its selfishness. Abhor its self-love and will seek through Christ's righteousness and will seek through Christ's righteousness for the purity of heart that is in harmony with the law of God and the character of Christ. Brothers and sisters, the reason why we're still on planet Earth is because we're not engaging this. God's not waiting for you to make yourself better. He's waiting for you to connect with Him so He can make you better. Are you with me? It is through Christ. You know, I used to think that God would re reach into my heart and rip sin out. But I have since learned that's not it. He works with me until I see sin for what it really is and I vomit it. You see, if I had old classmates here, I could have brought them up and they would have given you a horrible testimony of my life before I came to Jesus. You know that the things I used to love I now hate? And the things I used to hate, I now love. You know, there might be somebody here right now who's thinking, I have no interest in spiritual things. Dear friend, that's our natural condition for all of us. But as you spend time beholding Jesus, he will change that for you. He'll change it. Don't wait to feel it before you move to Jesus. Go to Jesus right where you are and, how you've, and let Jesus take care of it. Dear friends, it is by cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit through the, the repentance process, that we are prepared for the full outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It is. And notice I said repentance process. It's a process. You see, as we spend time with Jesus and we come to know Him better, we're going to see what we'll really look like. And that's not fun. Remember, Laodicea doesn't see that. It's rich, increased in goods, and in need of nothing. If you feel that your experience is really good, you're in big trouble. Your eyes are not on Jesus. But if you look to Jesus, you're not going to look better. How many of you have noticed 
that when you gave your life to Christ and you draw closer, you look worse. Did, you, did the rest of you see those hands? Look to Jesus. Oh, but look what I did. Confess it, repent, turn from it, but look away from it and look to Jesus. Why? Because by beholding you become changed. Look what's going on in my church. Don't do it. Take it to the Lord in prayer, but look to Jesus. Why? Because by beholding you're going to become just like the thing you don't like. Does that make sense? Don't pick out stuff in your spouse. Take it to the Lord in prayer and then leave it there and keep looking to Jesus. Otherwise, that's all you're going to see. And then you're going to become like it. So now let's pull this together. If we're really going to be ready for the latter rain, we have got to cooperate with the early rain. And that involves the outpouring. That involves repentance, confession. Take a look at Ellen White, what she has to say here on the early rain. Because the early rain experience is all about character development. Testimonies to Ministers, page 507 and 509. At no point in our experience can we dispense with the assistance of that which enables us to make the first start. The blessings received under the former reign are needful to us how, how long? To the end. As we seek God for the Holy Spirit, it will work in us. Meekness, humbleness of mind, a conscious dependence upon God for the perfecting ladder. Are you with me? It isn't cooperating with the early that we prepare the way for the latter. There are a lot of people praying for the latter rain who aren't cooperating with the early, and when it falls, they're going to be lost. The work of the Holy Spirit is to write the principles of those laws upon the heart to get us ready to go home. But now let's take a look at the work of the latter rain. Because its work is not about character development. That's the early. Review and Herald, 1897. The latter rain, ripening earth's harvest, represents the spiritual grace that prepares the church for the coming of the Son of Man. But unless the former rain has fallen, there will be no life. The green blade will not spring up unless the early showers have done their work. The latter rain can bring no seed to perfection. And there are folks out there, and I hear it and run into it, who are waiting for the latter rain to perfect their characters. It's not going to happen. But let's see what the latter rain is for. Supplement to the Christian experience and views of Ellen G. White, 1854. At that time, while the work of salvation is closing, trouble will be coming upon the earth, and the nations will be angry, yet held in check so as not to prevent the work of the third angel. By the way, that was news this morning. What we just read is happening right now. At that time, the latter rain, a refreshing of the presence of the Lord will come, now watch what it's for, to give power to the loud voice of the third angel and prepare the saints to stand in the period when the seven last plagues shall be poured out. It's to empower us to give the loud cry, and it is to seal us to go to the time of trouble. Do you see that? That's what it's for. If you're with me, say amen. That's what it's for. It's not for character development. The last generation must experience both. Testimonies to ministers, 508. If we do not progress, if we do not place ourselves in an attitude to receive both the former and the latter rain, we shall lose our souls and the responsibility will lie at our door. Who cares what the pastor is doing if I'm not doing what Jesus wants me to be doing? Are you with me? 
Early Writings, page 72. I saw that none could share the refreshing unless they obtained the victory over every besetment. Let me back up. Watch this. This, watch the connection with the early rain and the latter. I saw that none could share the refreshing unless they obtained the victory over every besetment, over pride, selfishness, love of the world, and over every wrong word and action. We should therefore be drawing nearer and nearer to the Lord and be earnestly seeking for that preparation necessary to enable us to stand in the battle of, in the day of the Lord. Let all remember that God is holy and none but holy beings can dwell in his presence. We're living in a day when people are preaching that we're going to keep sinning right up to the second coming. It's a lie. Did you hear me? It is a lie. Don't believe that. It's fatal. There's no truth in it. Listen, if Jesus Christ can't keep me from sinning, he's, he has nothing to offer me. And when we say we're going to keep right on sinning to the second coming, we're talking more about the power of sin than we're talking about the power of God. Are you with me? This is illogical. No way. We're not going to be sinning when we're left to, to the second coming. Satan accused God that his laws could not be kept. And in the last days, there's going to be a generation that's going to believe that God can do this, repent of their unbelief, and submit to the process. And they're going to stand as exhibit A before the whole universe that he was a liar. How can we be perpetuating that lie by saying we're going to keep sinning up to the second coming? What a disservice to our master who gave up everything to save us and has opened up the arsenal of heaven to help us. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that God can sustain us. The reason why we keep messing up is because we keep taking our eyes off Jesus. There's no hope in us. Give up on that. Oh, pastor, I'm not worthy. Duh. <laughs> and you can never make yourself worthy, but Jesus is worthy and he will make you worthy. Are you with me? So right now, what is our greatest need? Review and Herald, 1887. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. There are people back home we got to apologize to. You know, last night I lost my patience with one of my kids. It was hard going to sleep last night. And here I was going to stand up here and give this message. You know, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And I asked my, 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 my child this morning for forgiveness because I lost my patience. We gotta, this has to be going on in our homes. Are you with me? Listen, there are people here who have had some wrong things happen to them in the past. You've been wrong, dear friend. You have been unjustly treated. My apologies. God, there is a God in heaven and vengeance is his. But he does ask us to repent, I mean to, to forgive. Not because they deserve it. Forgiving uh, someone who harms us does not justify what they did. But it does open the way for Jesus to work in my life and in theirs. Because we have to understand that we have caused Jesus a lot of pain. And if he's willing to forgive us, we've got to be willing to do the same towards others. Not because they deserve it any more than we do. Are you with me? But if we refuse to forgive others... It blocks what Christ wants to do in our hearts. We have to ask the Lord to give us the courage, the love, and the forgiveness to extend to others. Amen? A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek for this should be 
our first work. There must be earnest effort to obtain the blessing of the Lord, not because God is not willing to bestow his blessing upon us, but because we're unprepared to receive it. Our Heavenly Father is more willing to give his Holy Spirit to them who ask him than our earthly parents to give good gifts to their children. But it is our work by what? Here's our work, friends, by confession humiliation, repentance, and earnest prayer to fulfill the conditions upon which God has promised to grant us this blessing, a revival need expected only in answer to what? To prayer. Let's be real with God, and God will be real with us. Review in Herald 1895, the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the church is looked forward to as in the future, but it is the privilege of the church to have it when? Now. Seek for it, pray for it, believe for it. We must have it. And heaven is doing what? Is waiting to give it to us. Let's not let them wait any longer. Not at all. But let's cooperate. Heaven is waiting. Review and Herald 1897. Unless we are daily advancing in the exemplification of the active Christian virtues, we shall not recognize the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the latter reign. It may be falling on hearts all around us, but we shall not discern or receive it. God is waiting right now. He brought us here, brothers and sisters, to hear this message because he loves you and me. It's not about what you can do. It's about what he can do. It's not about your goodness. It's about his goodness. It's not about your strength. It's about his strength. It's about falling on the feet of Jesus and saying, I can do nothing for myself. Will you please help me? And as he begins the process of showing us what is standing between our soul and our Savior, let's be honest and deal with it. This is the early reign. The call today is simple. It is the call of Peter. Repent. Therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Let's deal with it, but let's deal honestly. You know, when, when I was uh, early in my Christian experience, I was in a church. And you know how I love, I love fellowship. Do you like fellowship? Amen. I love that. And we all went out as a group to a restaurant to eat. And uh, one of my... One of the fellow church members sitting next to me ordered a soup. And I'm kind of nosy. I like to see what everybody else orders. Because in the future, it might be something you want. You know, I want. I looked over at his soup, and I saw stuff floating around in there that didn't look right. It looked like meat. Uh, there was one uh, menu left. Waitress must have forgotten. I reached for it. I knew what he had ordered. I heard it. And I looked through... And I saw it, and I started reading what was in it. It wasn't just meat, it was pork. And not wishing to embarrass, God says, take it to people how? Alone. I looked over to him and I said, hey, that's pork. He looked at me, and he looked at it, kind of surprised, and he said, oh, well, there's soybeans in here. As though the soybean counteracted the pork. <laughs> you know, we laugh, but we do this. We, we, let's be honest. We're really good at slapping soybeans on stuff we shouldn't be doing or saying. We will justify. When someone does us wrong, it's okay. You know, Jesus says, love your enemies. It's okay, but he didn't mean this guy. He didn't mean this situation. I'm justified in the position that I am taking. God wants us to reflect his character, but it's okay for me to lose my cool over this because of this thing. We slap soybeans all over the place. 
Let's be honest. We got we to gotta put the soybeans away, friends. And we're going to have to call sin in our own lives what it actually is. If we really are going to be serious, let's, let, no, let's not play games. If we really are going to be serious about getting ready for the outpouring of the latter rain, let's get serious. And it doesn't begin with calling people out in the church. It begins right here. Right here. Before I address anyone, I need to be addressing and better be addressing the things in my own life. But now I want to end with this quote because I want you to leave here with courage and hope. Steps to Christ, page 28. Ask Him to what? Give you repentance. Brothers and sisters, repentance is a gift. You and I cannot... You all don't sound excited. You and I cannot generate repentance. We can't. We like sin. Who are we kidding? You know... Early in my walk, um, when I gave my life to my life was a mess. You have no idea. And early in my life, as I was reading my Bible, um, you know, things were coming to my mind. I was involved in things that didn't bother me, even though I knew God did not approve. Did you hear me? I was doing things I knew God didn't approve of, and I was doing it anyway. And, uh, and this bothered me. And so one day I went to the Lord, and I said, you know, Lord, this is really bugging me. It seemed to me that I should be upset about this, and I'm really not. Will you please give me sorrow for sin? Lord, will you break my heart over this issue so that I can see it the way you do? By the way, do you think that's a prayer God wants us to pray? Yes. Absolutely he does, and he did. And I continue to pray that prayer because as I continue to draw closer to Jesus, he is continually revealing more and more stuff to me. And whenever he reveals something, let's be honest, this weekend we heard stuff we didn't want to hear. Don't talk to me about gluttony. Hey, I mentioned that one because, I, hey, in this market, I was going wild. You know, the Lord convicted me as I sat here. Let me ask you, I mean, let me tell you, he was also convicting me as I was stuffing my face. But, you know, uh, later on after, you know, I heard a message here that addressed this issue head on. I went to the Lord and I, I asked him to forgive me and I prayed, Lord, help me to exercise my will in your direction now. And will you please, Father, give me the gift of repentance. I, wanna, I want my heart to break over this as yours is. Are you with me? Let's be honest. Let's be real with the Lord. But gift is a repentance. Repentance is a gift, excuse me. Ask him to give you repentance. And if he's asking you to ask him, this isn't rocket science. To reveal Christ. You notice the connection, how it's connected with the revelation of Jesus that we have devotional life? To reveal Christ to you in His infinite love, in His pure, perfect purity, in the Savior's life, the principles of God's law, love to God and man were perfectly exemplified. Benevolence, unselfish love was the life of His soul. It is as we behold Him, as the light from our Savior falls upon us, that we see the sinfulness of our own hearts. Devotional life is not optional. Repentance is a gift. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon. And you being here is part of that preparation. He brought you here. I, I don't care the excuse. I don't care if you got dragged here. Behind that was the Lord. And now you're going home. Let Jesus work in you so that others can see the power of God and glorify Him and respond. Soon the latter rain will fall upon God's waiting people 
who have come to know by experience what it means to be humble and brokenhearted, subdued by genuine repentance, then Jesus will come and take us home. I want to go home. You know, this morning, you know, we're, we're, we kind of have a herd mentality. I, I hate making appeals because nobody wants to be left behind. So everybody follow. But as we kneel here, I'm going to give you time to pray. But if it's your desire to be real with God and address the stuff that the Holy Spirit's been talking to us about this whole week, let's take it to Him right now. Father, I want to thank you for your kindness in meeting with us this week and revealing to us your goodness and your incredible patience, which is beyond our comprehension. Oh, Father, help us to be as patient with others as you are with us. Father, you don't call us out. Help us to be respectful to others and not be calling others out. Help us, Lord, to be more concerned right now with what you're trying to do in our life and stop trying to fix everybody else. Father, you're desiring to pour out the latter rain upon us. But before we can receive it, we've got to let the early rain do its work. Father, this week you have shown us things. And some of these things we have compete, co conveniently side sidestepped. We're defending ourselves and, and justifying ourselves in evil work by slapping soybeans. But Father, I pray, let us stop doing that. We want a real experience with you. And so we ask, please help us to be honest with ourselves, to be real with you. Lord, we're broken. We're sinners in need of a Savior. Our hearts are messed up. We don't understand the motives for even the good things we do. So, Lord, we just want to come to you right now. And at this moment, Lord, I want to give everyone just a moment of quiet that they, loving Father, can present what it was you have been leaning upon us over this week. Gracious Father, when we leave this tent and we go to our rooms, there are some people we've got to apologize to. And when we get back to our homes, there are people, Lord, we've got to talk to. There are some things we've got to make right. Lord, there are things at home you've been talking to us about, about getting rid of. We haven't done it. Lord, help us now to purpose in our heart. We go home, we're going to deal with that. Take care of those things now. Get that off our computers. Get those things out of our house. Father, we know you're coming home. You're preparing a people. We want to be part of that. We don't want to get passed by. And we thank you. We praise you. And so, Lord, glorify your name in each of our lives. And when we go home, may it truly be evident to others that we have been with Jesus. Thank you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.